Let me invite you to turn in your Bibles, or in a few minutes you can follow along on the screen. We're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 14 through 17. We are almost complete in our Ephesians study. We have this Sunday, uh, and then the Sunday after Easter we'll bring uh, this study to completion. Uh, This morning we're continuing in our uh, digging and studying and trying to understand what it means to be strong in the Lord in this this context of a, of a spiritual battle. That may be a new information or different type of, of way of thinking of your, of your relationship with Christ than maybe you have before. Uh, if you've read uh, Tom Clancy's book or seen the movie based on the book Hunt for Red October, it's a great spy kind of Cold War type story. The story revolves around a small group of Russian naval officers who have been assigned a nuclear attack submarine, and they want to defect. So they leave the, the port in Pagliarni, and they are going out into the Atlantic, and they've figured out a way to defect. If, if they can get word to the Americans, they can sneak off, and nobody will be the wiser. Well, obviously, in a, in a great spy novel, nothing goes right. There's all kinds of action and adventure and missteps and, and things that, you know, that work out and things that don't work out. But you come to about, you're probably about 85% of the way through the book. And this group of, of folks have successfully gotten everybody off the ship, but the, but the submarine, but the, the guys who want to defect. And now there's a small handful of American naval officers who have joined them. They figured it out. But there's only a small group so they're, they're in a spot where the Russian Navy is trying to sink them, and the greater part of the U.S. Navy has no idea what's going on, and they're trying to sink them too. But they're in this moment of calm, and there's, they're in a moment where they don't think there are any enemy around them on either side. They don't think there are any Russian subs, any American subs, and they've got a few moments to kind of plot how they're going to go forward. And in that quiet moment where they think everything is kind of safe, you hear the high-pitched whining of a torpedo propeller as the torpedo goes just by the outer edge of the submarine. And one of the young American naval officers sticks his head around the corner and he says, hey, 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 I think somebody just shot a torpedo at us. (laughs) And the captain says something that I can't repeat in church, and then they get to battle stations. And I won't tell you how it turns out. If you haven't seen it and you like a good, you know, kind of uh, spy, spy thriller, read the book or see the movie. But I'm amazed at how many times in my life I'm surprised that somebody's shooting at me. I don't mean people. I don't mean humans. I'm talking about the spiritual battle in which I find myself as a disciple of Jesus. Sometimes I'm caught off guard. Perhaps you're caught off guard at times too, and you, you wonder why you're feeling discouraged, or you wonder why you're, you're feeling overwhelmed, or you're feeling hurt in some way. And we fail to recognize that, that we're in a shooting battle and that we actually have an enemy that's out to destroy us. He can't have our souls. If we, if we have faith in Christ, we, we cannot lose that salvation. Scripture is clear. Jesus says, I won't lose any that are given to me. In Romans chapter 9, nothing in all of creation, excuse me, the end of chapter 8, nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus, but he seeks to, to destroy everything he can that has to do with the kingdom of God. How do you fight that battle. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 14 through 17. Hear the word of God. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of spirit, the sword of the spirit, 
which is the word of God. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you this morning that you are gracious enough to remind us of the conflict. Uh, You don't share these words with us to make us fearful, uh, to make us run and hide, but rather to engage in the fight. Father, you promise that our salvation is secure in the Lord Jesus Christ, but you don't take us out of this world immediately. You you give us the opportunity to walk by faith, and part of that is being aware of our enemy and, and what he's out to accomplish. Lord, as we have sung in, in the first hymn we sang this morning, uh, none of us have the strength to stand against him or subdue him on our own, but your word will ultimately win the victory. And so, Father, help us to rest in your word. Help us to learn from your word this morning. And Father, help us to apply your word to our individual lives and our life as a community of believers, that we would be encouraged, that we'd be strengthened in this battle. Lord Jesus, forgive my sin. Please do not let me stand in the way of what you want to teach your people today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this journey of discipleship that we are on includes a very real spiritual battle, which can only be successfully fought with God's power and God's provision. Last week, we looked at God's power, and I'll come back and do a real quick wrap-up of that in just a moment. But I want to do two things before we jump into this text. The first is, I want to make sure we understand the setting of the battle. As you can be tempted, and I can be tempted, to see people as our enemy. To see, you know, folks that, with whom we disagree. Folks that maybe they're not Christians, and they, they don't like uh, the way I think or the way you think as a believer. And we can tend to say, well, those folks are our enemy. Well, the fact is, Scripture says they, they, they could be acting, humanly speaking, like enemies, but our genuine enemy is one that is spiritual in nature. I want to take us back for a moment to the Gospels, and Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples, and, and Peter's kind of boasting about being willing to die for Jesus. And Peter is completely unaware and detached from the notion that he's right smack dab in the middle of a spiritual battle. So Jesus says to Peter, Simon, Simon, he kind of gets him to stop. Simon, listen, Satan has demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. There's a couple of wonderful things. I should preach a sermon on those two verses at some point. Maybe I will. There's a couple of wonderful things here. Satan is the accuser of, of the followers of Jesus. And Satan accuses us to, to, our, to our souls and also accuses us before God. And Satan is saying, you know, you ought to give me Peter because look how much he fails. Look how many times he gets it wrong. Look what a knothead Peter is. Why don't you give him to me and I'll teach him a few lessons. You ever wonder again why, why you feel discouraged or attacked? It, it may be that you've lost sight of the fact that you're in a spiritual battle. But Jesus doesn't say, but don't worry, Peter, I've rescued you out of that. You don't have to go through that. He doesn't say that. He said, I'm fighting the spiritual battle with you and for you. I've prayed for you. And in essence, Jesus says, I know that the Father will answer my prayers because when you have turned again, when you've gone through this experience and you've repented and you've come back, strengthen your brothers. So those of us that are a little further along in our spiritual journey and have a little bit better understanding of the spiritual battle need to be aware that, that it's by God's strength that we accomplish any victory in this battle, and we need to pass that on to the younger folks. The setting of this battle is spiritual in nature. 
Revelation chapter 12 reinforces. Now, Revelation is, is, a, is, a, is a wild and crazy book. There's some really cool stuff in Revelation. Revelation 12, believe it or not, the, the, the second half of Revelation 12 is all about the Christmas story. And, and I'm not sure someday, I know I'm going to, I don't know when it is, someday I'm going to retire from Green Tree. My last Christmas Eve at Green Tree, I'm preaching Revelation chapter 12. So, you, you know, this is the only time when you, before the Christmas Eve service, the pastor says you might want to have a glass of wine before you show up. But it's, a, but it's about, it's about the battle between, between Satan and Jesus and then Satan and Jesus' followers. And the dragon, who is Satan, is furious with the woman, that's actually Mary, the mother of Jesus, and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring. Well, who are her offspring? Those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. So if you're a disciple of Jesus this morning, you're in that list, and Satan wants to do you in. It is a spiritual battle, and it is a cataclysmic battle. That is the context. But also, let's remember what we said last week about the power of, for the battle. Again, just very, very briefly, in the first few verses before this, we read that the battle preparation is being strong in the Lord. We're immediately to turn our attention to the fact that God gives us the strength to fight this battle. And as we've already said this morning, we're also reminded of the appropriate identity of the enemy. We're wrestling against spiritual forces of evil. There's no room in the life of the believer to hate other people because they may stand against us. We also need to understand God's intended outcome. That it's not only that we withstand, but also that we stand, that, that we fully engage in the fight. Well, if that's the power behind it, what provision does God give us for this fight? And there are six main pieces of equipment that this passage lists that are on the screen before you. Now, I know most of you listen to a sermon like I listen to a sermon. I'm always waiting for that moment where the pastor says, I have three observations this morning, or I have four points that I want to make this morning. Yes, we're going through all six. We're going to go at a brisk pace. We're not going to stop and spend a ton of time on any one of them, but it's important that we understand what is available to us as we fight this fight. First of all, in verse 14, it says very clearly, we stand therefore having fastened the belt of truth. And there he is, Maximus from Gladiator. If you haven't seen Gladiator, although it's not for the young, uh, there's a lot of Colosseum stuff going on there. It's a, it's a very heroic story. I'm going to read for you uh, Maximus's most famous quote out of this. And this has nothing to do with the sermon. I just want to read this quote. This is such a great... And some of you know it by heart. You just shout it out with me if you know it. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the north general of the Felix legions, loyal servant of the true emperor Marcus Aurelius, father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, and I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. That's a great line. That's, that, that's a guy who knows he's in a fight and he's getting after it. But look how many belts he has. Look at how everything is strapped in tight. He's making sure that there's nothing loose-fitting. He's making sure that he has full mobility of his upper body. Why? Because in a fight, you want to be able to move unrestricted. And that wasn't just true in Maximus's day. It's true right down to our day today. My wife can stand in the Kirkwood High School cafeteria and watch the students come into the school, and she can predict with 100% accuracy whether there's going to be a fight or not. Because when somebody's coming to school mad and they know they want to go after somebody, they wear clothes to that effect. They tie the hair way back. They wear tight-fitting clothes that can't easily be grabbed onto. 
and they're ready to go to battle. They have the belt wrapped around them. They're, they're set to go. This belt is a belt of truth. What holds everything in place is not a truth, but it is the truth. What gives you and me the ability to maneuver in this spiritual battle is the truth of Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus says to the Jews who believed in him, and he says to us this morning, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. A little bit later on in Jesus' life, he says to one of his disciples, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We live in a, in a portion of the world, not, not all of the world, in fact, not even the majority of the world, believe what I'm getting ready to tell you, but we live in a culture that says truth is relative. That, that is not the case in, in the Far East so much uh, and in other countries, but in our culture, in Western culture, in Europe and the United States in particular, this notion of you kind of pick your truth, it's a smorgasbord, take whatever you want, and as long as it works for you, then it's fine, it's truth for you. Jesus doesn't say that he is a truth. Jesus doesn't even say that there is a truth. He says that there is the truth, and it's embodied in me. When we understand that as disciples, we are set free because Satan wants to tie us up in knots. He wants to tie us up in knots of doubt. He wants to tie us up in knots of confusion, of ambiguity, of lies and deceit. And our confidence in the truth sets us free to engage in this battle. As Coach Taylor used to say in Friday Night Lights to his players before they would take the field, clear eyes, full heart, can't lose. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the belt of truth, gives us clear eyes. It allows us to see who we are. It allows us to see God for who he is and allows us to understand our enemy and be free to do battle. Secondly, not only the belt of truth, but we're given the breastplate of righteousness according to verse 14. We're back with Maximus again. I'm going to switch movies on you here in a couple minutes. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, my first question as I look at this, well, is whose righteousness am I putting on? Am I putting on my righteousness? Does that mean I, I work hard and I do good things? And by doing those good things and by keeping the rules, then, then God protects me and God makes it okay for me. It's my effort to be morally sound, that I make sure that I never commit an error in the way I think or what I speak or how I act. Uh, in word and deed, I'm completely pure and completely above, above reproach. Well, if that's the case, I've already lost this morning. If that's the breastplate I'm putting on, I'm in big, big trouble. But Paul's not speaking about our own strength. He's talking about Christ's perfection applied to us by faith. He's talking about a righteousness, a right standing before God that is given to us as a gift of God, and we receive that not by, by working harder, but by believing that it's true. In a different letter that Paul wrote, he takes us back all the way to Abraham, and he asks the question, what shall we say then about our father Abraham? If Abraham was justified or made right, that, that notion of righteousness, by works, by his human effort, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Scripture says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as, there's that word, righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but trusts in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. For the promises to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of 
faith. What we're after here is understanding that this perfection is given to us through faith. That my job is, is not to work harder to try to do good things, but my job is to rest in what Christ has done for me and allow that to set the pathway of my life. It's something that God has given. I was in a restaurant uh, a few weeks back, and there was a friend in the restaurant, and they were sitting way on the other side of the restaurant, and they didn't see me. And uh, so I, I said to one of the servers, hey, you see that, that guy way over there? Uh, I want to I pay his tab, but don't tell him that I'm going to pay his tab. And the server started to walk away. I said, wait a minute, come back, come back. How much did he spend? <laughs> I mean, I like to be generous, but you know. Um, but anyway, so it was, it was fine. Brought it back and I paid it and I snuck out the side door and, and he never saw me. Now, had he insisted on paying for his meal after it had already been paid, that would be crazy. If he had insisted on saying, well, look, at least let me go back in the kitchen and do some dishes so that I can feel like I contributed, we would go, you've lost your mind. That's absolutely nuts. But you and I do that every day as believers. We say, God, just let me add something to my salvation. And God says, don't you dare. It'll make you vulnerable to Satan's attacks. Put on my righteousness so that you can be fully and completely protected. What Satan wants to do is attack our hearts with shame. He wants to wrap us up in guilt. If you've been a believer for any amount of time, you know that Satan tries to stab you with past and present failures. The righteousness of Christ is mine, is the breastplate of righteousness that protects us. It is the only part of righteousness that protects us because it is from God to us. I firmly believe that as we embrace this, this righteousness of Christ, that our lives will begin to look different. We will begin to honor Christ in the way we live, but we need to understand what comes first. It's embracing the righteousness of Christ through faith is our own, which then leads us to the shoes fitted with the gospel of peace, the third piece of equipment. Now, I told you I was going to switch movies. I just switched over to 300. Uh, that is King Leonidas as he fights the battle of Thermopylae. And in chapter uh, 6, verse 15, you and as shoes for your feet, having put on readiness given by the gospel of peace. So it's kind of a dark picture, but hopefully you can see that, that, his, that his boots that he has on, his war boots, are actually not just over his feet, but they come up to cover all the way over his knee. Can you kind of see that? What I should have done is put a picture of Yadier Molina behind home plate. That would have been easier. So just think shin guards, but they cover all the feet, that's the boot, all the way up to the knee. Why is that so important that Leonidas and anybody who's entering into hand to have combat have that protection? Because your ability to move is absolutely crucial. I'm sure you've heard the term before, he or she is a sitting duck. What they're saying is, is they're, they're, they're stagnant, they're stopped, and they're an easy target. When you get into this kind of spiritual battle, you have to be able to move. You have to be able to move forward to engage the lies of Satan in order to bring glory and honor to Christ, in order to embrace his gospel for yourself. And this movement forward is a gospel of peace. It's the good news of peace that Christ came to make between humanity and God and between our fellow man. And so Paul has said earlier in Ephesians, we studied this pas pas passage, excuse me, months ago. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. So then you're no longer strange, strangers and aliens but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. The way God has clothed himself in peace, 
is, create, is destroying the boundary between us, which is our sin and our brokenness. That's what the cross is all about. The cross is God's instrument of peace in a world in rebellion against him. And when that peace invades your heart, you begin to have peace with your fellow man. You, you begin to look around at humanity and see them as objects that need to be loved and cared for. And we begin to engage in our culture for the cause of Christ in a way that is motivated by love and compassion, just as Christ has loved us and created peace between us and God. And Satan hates this gospel. Satan despises salvation and restoration. And what Satan wants to do is stir, stir up hatred and animosity. Why, why is there so much battling within churches? I'm very grateful that Green Tree doesn't have a whole lot of, you know, inner turmoil. Inner turmoil Green Tree. We have very little of that, but there are many, many churches that struggle with that. Why? Because we forgot to put on the shoes fitted with the gospel of peace. We've lost our mobility when it comes to reaching out to one another and caring for one another. And when we fail here, we embrace bitterness and revenge and spite over grace. Cindy and I got to see a movie on Friday evening. I got a chance to just kind of unwind a little bit and go uh, hang out together. And we went and saw a movie called The Best of Enemies. Kind of play on words, the best of friends, the best of enemies. And it's a story about how uh, school integration came to Raleigh, Durham. Actually, Durham, not Raleigh, came to Durham, North Carolina in 1971. And the city council was in an impasse. A, a black school had burned down, uh, and they were trying to figure out where those children are going to go to school. There were a whole group of people that said, no integration. We want to keep segregation. And a whole group of people said, we, we need to integrate. That's the only way these kids are going to get an education. They couldn't figure it out. So what they did is they called in some help from the outside, and the person that came in from the outside put together a, a group of about 100 citizens. And the community said, if this group of citizens can agree on anything, it will become the law. And basically, you had about 50 people that were absolutely for segregation. You had about 50 people that were absolutely committed to integration. And they put them in a room for several weeks and months, and they tried to work it out. In that process, there was a person that was elected to lead the folks in charge of integration. So African-American woman, Christian, disciple of Jesus, and she was an activist, and she was working hard for the rights of everybody. On the other side of the coin, the person that was elected was the local president of the Ku Klux Klan, avowed enemies of one another. People who, who from birth were unbelievably different than one another, and those differences fueled hatred and animosity and antagonism. And we know that story all too well in the history of our country. But one thing changed all that. And what changed all that was a person who decided that she was going to put on the shoes fitted with the gospel of peace. And I, and I won't give the whole movie away. You need to go see this movie. But there's a, there's a moment in the movie where this woman has an opportunity to do something with extraordinary kindness. Something I, when I'm watching this, I'm going, I'd never do that. There's no way in the world. I'd, I'd want to get that guy. And she, she commits this act of kindness that is unbelievable. And it changes everything. And it, because it changed his heart. He was attacked by the gospel of peace, and he got a whooping. <laughs> and it ended up being a joyful whooping because it, the gospel invaded his life. So go see that movie. But, but when a Christian says, I'm, I'm going to work for the peace of Christ, 
it literally can change everything. That's why we need that mobility. We need to be able to move with this peace. Fourthly, we're to take up, according to verse 16, the shield of faith in all circumstances, no matter good, bad, up, down, sideways, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. You have, you have several vital organs, but our two most vital organs are our head and our heart. And the shield of faith protects primarily the heart. We know from literature, we know from the, from the Bible itself that the heart is, is the metaphorical picture of our emotions, uh, of our spiritual well-being. And the battle we're in is a very real battle, and our enemy is firing at our heart. He wants to destroy our heart. The arrows of discouragement, the arrows of hopelessness, the arrows of fear that say, don't, don't risk, don't, don't step out, that you could get hurt badly. It's at that moment that if you don't have faith, the chances are you're going to sit on the sideline. I'm going to disengage. But through faith, I can actively engage with the brokenness of this world. Uh, Jesus saw some guys come and bring a, a paralytic to him one day, and he said to them, your, uh, my, he saw their faith and said to the paralytic, my son, your sins are forgiven. I would encourage you to go through the Gospels and look at how many times Jesus heals somebody, which he, he eventually heals this guy, uh, but also he forgives the sins, which is much more important. But look at the places where Jesus heals, where Jesus restores, and look at what he does almost all the time. He says to the person, your faith has restored you. Your faith has healed you. Faith is the essence of who we are in Christ. That's why the author of Hebrews says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Uh, you, you want to do battle against people that have no assurance and have no conviction because they'll run away really fast. But people who have an assurance that they're, that they're fighting for the right cause, they, they have the assurance that, that they're doing the right thing and their convictions are strong and firm. Those are the worst kind of enemies because they will not quit. They will not let go. Our convictions are based in our faith that God is gracious and merciful to us through the Lord Jesus. And then we're to take up the helmet of salvation. If the shield of faith protects our hearts, then the helmet protects our, our noggin. It protects our brains. It gives us the ability to reason. It helps us understand that, that there are split-second decisions that, that need to be made at times. They need to be made in the heat of battle, in the heat of the moment. And so the salvation of our souls is what protects our minds. So I, I went back because when we think about a head injury now, we think in terms of sports concussions for the most part. I know there are a lot of other head injuries, but whenever you kind of see it on the news, it tends to be a player is out for so many weeks because of a concussion. So I went back and looked at concussion protocol, thing you should look for if you're a coach or an athletic trainer and somebody stumbles off the court or the field or the ice rink and, and, and they don't seem right, what are things you should be looking for? Confusion or feeling dazed, clumsiness, slurred speech. No, I don't have a concussion. Don't even think that. <laughs> Nausea and vomiting, headache, balance problems or dizziness, blurred vision, sensitivity to light. Can you imagine being in hand-to-hand -hand combat and having been hit in the head and having that kind of uh, feeling? You would be as good as gone. Disciples need to be clear-thinking individuals. And the clearest thought that we can have that protects our minds is that we are saved and we belong to God by his grace to us through Christ Jesus. This gives us an assurance that will not fail and will not uh, leave us in our moment of 
the battle. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, but also to the Greek. What does Satan want to do? He wants to breed lies of doubt. He wants us to think that we must protect ourselves. He wants us to think that, that we are perhaps not secure in our relationship with Christ. How many times have, have you said to yourself or thought to yourself, gosh, I, I look at what I did and, and I keep kind of making that same mistake. I can't possibly be a Christian anymore. When on earth did your holding on to God define your Christianity? That is not in Scripture. Scripture says that God holds on to us. Nothing in all creation will separate Jesus for the love that Tom has for them. That's not what it says. There's nothing in all creation that will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Every time you doubt your salvation and you don't believe that verse, every time I do that, I ought to be thinking to myself, somebody's whispering in my ear right now, and I didn't invite him to the party. And I need to go back to Scripture and remember a passage like this and tell Satan to take a hike because he wants me to doubt, because he knows if I doubt, I'll be quiet. I won't be effective. I won't share with anybody. But the salvation of God is meant to protect our ability to think, to react in the, in the truth of the security of our salvation that God has given. Now, all five of those things are protective in nature, but there is a sixth a uh, piece of equipment that is given to the soldier because it's not all about being on the defensive. It's about also going on the offensive. So I've switched movies on you one last time. Uh, this is The Last Samurai, uh, and that's, uh, that's uh, Tom Cruise over there who, who looks like a really cool, tough guy uh, in that picture. Uh, in this story, The Last Samurai, Nathan Algren, who's who the character that Tom uh, Cruise plays, is lieutenant in the U.S. Cavalry, uh, who comes over to Japan in the 1870s, uh, hired by, by uh, the, the government of Japan to fight against the samurai. But he gets captured in the first battle. And he has to spend about four months living in the village of the samurai. And he meets Kazumoto, who's, who's the, the other gentleman in the picture. And they become friends. And, and what, what the lieutenant learns is that he was on the wrong side of the argument. And so he, he, he becomes friends and he enlists with Kazumoto to fight his battle. And this is before the kind of the climactic scene in the movie when Kazumoto hands him his sword. And he says, now you are samurai. Now you are samurai. We're going to go on the offensive. We're going to seek to defeat our enemy. God gives us this perfect weapon so that we not only can withstand, but so we can defeat the evil one, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And so Paul says to a young pastor named Timothy, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Don't get hung up on that word man, put person in there. It's speaking about any disciple of Jesus, that this scripture, this word of God is what allows us to go on the offensive. Think of when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. Three different times he was tempted. Every time Jesus did the same thing when he went on the offense. It is written. And he quoted scripture. And finally Satan got so frustrated, he left. He was defeated. He was beaten. Jesus didn't survive that. He kicked Satan's be through the word of God. That's the closest I've ever come as a pastor to saying something bad in the pulpit. But that's how emphatic that victory was. And that victory is available to you and me if we know the word of God. 
After the 8 o'clock service, I was standing up here. I was folding up my stuff and getting ready to get a drink of water. I hadn't even gotten off of, the, off of this area up here. And, and a young man comes up to me and says, Pastor Tom, that verse in 2 Timothy, I know it better than you do. And he didn't wait for me to say anything. He just looked me right in the eye and he said, all scriptures breathed out by God and it's profitable for a teacher, for reproof, for correction, for the training of righteousness that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. And then about like literally that fast or faster. And they looked at me and he smiled. And he was four years old. Now, parents, I'm going to fuss at you for a minute. But it comes from somebody who loves you. But I am going to fuss at you. We are not teaching our children enough of the Bible. Grandparents, I'm going to fuss at y'all. We are not teaching our children enough of the Bible. Sunday school teachers, I'm going to fuss at y'all. We are not teaching our children enough of the Bible. We don't want our children to survive. We want our children to be victorious. And the way we're victorious is to go on the offense. And the only way to go on the offense is to know the word of God. And, and there's so many ways. Uh, if you aren't sure how to teach your children the scriptures, our student ministry staff, uh, our children's ministry staff is amazing. There's so many different ways. I, but I'll just give you one simple one. When I was a little boy, my mom would sit in the hallway with the light on between my room and my sister's room. And we'd be, you know, the, the baths were done, the teeth were brushed, we were in bed, and we were probably going to stay awake for maybe five to seven minutes at the most. And she sat there and she read the Bible. That's how I learned the Bible to start with. It, 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 it's not incredibly difficult if we make time for it, but we have to understand this is our best opportunity for victory. If Jesus uses the word of God to defeat Satan's temptations, we must also, because Satan wants timidity. He wants uncertainty. He wants lack of clarity, and the word of God defeats all of that. The good news about this is that someday we're going to be in heaven, and when we're in heaven, we get to wear like white robes, of righteousness. We get, think of whatever you'd want to wear to a party. Well, you know, maybe you went to opening day and you wore your Cardinals garb. I'm sure the Cardinals are going to be the team everybody cheers for in heaven. Uh, but whatever, you know, whatever you wear to, you're going to get your party clothes and you don't have to worry about being a convert. You don't have to worry about protecting yourself. You don't have to worry about being a fight. You just get to dress up and go out and have a ball. But that's then. This is now. And however long you and I live, whether it's the next five minutes or the next 50 years, we're in a battle. And I want you to look at this list on the screen carefully, not so much what's on the left, but what's on the right. What has God given you and me equipment-wise to allow us to be successful? Truth, righteousness, the gospel of peace, faith, salvation, and the word of God. Here's our opportunity to gear up for the battle. Let me encourage you to look carefully at this list. Memorize it. Claim it for your own Pray it for others, and then let's get in the fight. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you not only protect your children through the Lord Jesus, but you also are honest with us in telling us that, that this life contains battle, spiritual battle, that we have an enemy that is out to get us, that hates us. And you've given us the tools to fight. You've given us the tools to be protected, but you've also given us the tools to defeat our enemy. Father, thank you that he can't grasp our soul, that that is secure in the Lord Jesus. But Father, help us to enter into every day of our lives understanding that this is a spiritual battle. We're, we're never, it's never okay to hate other people. They mock us or disagree with us or, or, or uh, laugh at us because of what we believe that we don't hate them, Lord. 
we know there's a spiritual force behind that. This passage is clear. Help us to fight the right battle with the right equipment that you give for your glory and for our good. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.